Heavenly and precious Father, glorious King of kings, calm my spirit right now, Lord God. I pray that the words that you have given me throughout this last week, Lord God, will just rise up to you, Lord God, and that they will sink into the hearts and souls of all those who hear me right now, Lord, and that they will realize that you are a true God who forgives and forgets, Lord God. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for who you are. And we will praise you, Lord God, as we move forward. We'll praise you for all that you do. Amen. Good morning. My testimony that I'm going to tell you today is a testimony of redemption and a testimony of restoration. But this is also the testimony of a great and merciful God who can take the evil all men do to one another and and redeem it for his kingdom. In Genesis 50, 20, this is where Joseph is talking to his brothers. They just realize who he is. And he says this to them. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. Amen. I was 17 years old, and my girlfriend, whom I dated all through high school, was 16. And one day after school, she came to me and she told me she was pregnant. Now, terrified at the thought of telling her parents and not knowing what to do or who she trusted enough to talk to, she eventually turned to her school guidance counselor, and she advised her to call Planned Parenthood, telling her that they dealt with crisis pregnancies. My girlfriend made the appointment, and we both went. And when we arrived, they greeted us, and they took her to the back and told me I had to stay in the waiting room. Now, they told her all the things that a frightened, pregnant 16-year-old girl needed to hear. It's not a baby yet, it's just tissue. The abortion procedure is very quick, safe, and painless. And once it's over, you can put it behind you, and you can go on with your life. But most of all, no one needed to know, especially her parents. Now, we both bought into the lies, and we scheduled the procedure for the following week. Now, she went back to her school counselor, and she was told that since the appointment was for early in the morning, that she would actually give us passes to leave school so that we can go to the appointment, have the abortion, come back so she can get on her bus and go home, so no one would have to know. Now, you really have to think about that for a minute. This is the same school system that needed parental permission to dispense an aspirin or Tylenol to your child. And here the school counselor was given us passes to leave school to have an abortion so her parents would never find out. So that's exactly what we did. A year later, she comes to me telling me that she was pregnant again. Now, since we've been through this before, we didn't need any help this time. We didn't need any guidance. We both thought we had only one choice. And it was a simple and easy choice. We've done this before, we can do it again. So you have to remember, back in 1977 and 1978, there were no pregnancy help centers to help you make an informed choice. There was only one place pushing one choice. So we went back and she had her second abortion. Now, as I mentioned before, we dated all through high school. We even talked about getting married after she graduated. 
but statistics show that most relationships will not survive after an abortion procedure, and ours was no different. Things quickly fell apart, and we went our separate ways. And to this day, I have no idea whatever happened to her. Now, moving forward, six years, I met my wife, Beth Ann. Now, you have to remember, neither of us has had a relationship with Christ at this time in our life, and our life choices reflected that. And our relationship moved very quickly. And after a month, she came to me and she told me she was pregnant. Now, we both had very, very strong feelings for one another, but we didn't want to rush into getting married. But I wanted to be a part of her life, so I asked her to move in with me. And she said that she would have to think about that. And in the meantime, she went to her first doctor's appointment. Now she came to me after, and I knew something was terribly wrong. Beth Ann told me that she was six weeks pregnant, and the baby was not mine. The relationship she was in before me was a very toxic relationship, and she was devastated that this child was his. Now, this changed everything for me. I really wish that I could stand here and say that I was a type of man that just held her in my arms and told her everything would be okay and that we would get through this and I would love her and protect her and take care of her. But sadly, I was not that man. I was shallow. I was self-centered. And there was no way I was going to stay around as she went through a pregnancy with another man's child. So I used the fact that she came out of this toxic relationship to my advantage. Think about that. I knew that having an abortion went against everything that she truly believed in. And so I started telling her the lies that were fed to me years earlier. Hey, this is simple. It's safe. It's an easy procedure. Then after it's done, we can get on with our relationship. I told her that I would pay for it. I would take her and I would be there for her after. And I made it very, very clear that if you have the abortion, we have a future. If you don't, you're on your own. And with the thought of having this other man's child and also losing me, she decided to go against everything she believed in, and she had the abortion. And six months later, we were married. Now, two years into our marriage, Beth Ann is pregnant with our first child. The day arrives, and we're in the birthing room, and then something goes terribly wrong. They rush her down the hall for an emergency C-section, and I'm standing there in a whirlwind of activity, all by myself, wondering what just happened. And after a short time, that seemed like an eternity, the doctor came out and told me that everyone was okay that I could come back and meet my baby girl. Now, Beth Ann was still under anesthetic, and so I was the first to hold our daughter. She was one month early, and she weighed five pounds. And my heart was overflowing with love and with joy that both of them were okay. And like any new father holding his child for the first time, I was telling my daughter, Sarah, how much that I would love her, how I would protect her, 
I would provide for her, and I would always be there for her. And in that moment, the door that was locked and chained in the deepest and darkest part of my soul burst open, and a voice that seems as loud as I'm talking to you right now laughed at me telling me, who do you think you are? What kind of loving father kills three children? How are you going to protect? How are you going to provide for this child? How are you going to love anyone more than you love yourself? You are selfish and you are heartless. At that moment, I was crippled with guilt. My joy quickly turned to remorse and then to anger. You know, they said you could put this behind you. They said you can forget it ever happened and move on your life, move on with your life, but lies. Those were all lies. The abortions affected me deeply. How I thought of myself as a man, as a husband, and now as a new father. And I had a new reality about myself, and I didn't know how to deal with it. So I did what I do best, I just pushed it down. But those feelings never go away. They disguise themselves and they permeate every area of your life. And over the next six years, I became more depressed, irritable, angry, which put an incredible strain on our marriage. And after the birth of our second child, John Michael, our marriage was falling apart. Bethann had enough of my anger, enough of my mood swings. I would give her the silent treatment for days on end. I found myself sabotaging my closest relationship. You see, I didn't think I deserved to be loved because of the abortions I was a part of. And we were both ready to give up on our marriage when a gracious God stepped in. A pastor, imagine this, a pastor and his wife moved in next door. And it was through that relationship that we both gave our lives to Christ. And that put us both on a path of restoration, but we still had a very long journey ahead. Now, after a few years, Bethann visited our local pregnancy help center for the very first time to deliver some baby clothes with our pastor's wife. And at that moment, when she stepped into those front doors for the first time, she found, she said that in her heart, it burned within her with an overwhelming feeling that this is where God wanted her to serve him. So through volunteering, and eventually coming on staff at the pregnancy center, Bethann found that healing through a post-abortion recovery program that they have for women. Now, at that time, they didn't have the Dad Ready program or the abortion recovery program for men. But after getting to know Sally Dubinsky, who is the pregnancy director, I got to know her a little bit better, and I shared with her my story of what I was going through. And she gave me a book called Fatherhood Aborted, by Guy Condon and David Hazard. Now, reading this book, I saw myself on every single page, and it helped me to understand a lot of what I was experiencing at the time. The book states this, 
that when a man has fathered a child and that child's life is terminated by the unnatural and violent act of abortion, a destructive chain reaction silently begins in his life. Now, after reading that, it was like pieces of a puzzle coming together. This explains why I had such a low opinion of myself, why I felt I did not deserve to be loved, and why I was, wasn't letting go of my past sins, because I had this destructive chain reaction going on in my life. So the combination of reading Fatherhood Aborted and going to Christian counseling, it led me to understand two biblical truths, two truths that I wanna share with you today. The first one is, by accepting God's forgiveness when becoming Christians, we have no right not to forgive ourselves. And two, we are not defined by the choices that we have made in the past, but by a loving God who now calls us a new creation. I think one of the biggest obstacles that a lot of people struggle with in their walk with God in this restoration process or sanctification is that the lack of complete understanding of what God's forgiveness means for them, which leads to their inability to forget the things that they have done in the past. This, let's call it self-forgiveness, is a deliberate decision to allow the blood of Christ to wash away your sins and for God to rid you of your shame so that he could draw you closer to him. Now, letting go of the past can be extremely difficult process that we think that we could do on our own, but we can't. And a lot of us will not allow God to be a part of the process of letting go of the past shame and it becomes so impossible without him for multiple, multiple reasons. And some of those reasons are this. We regret our bad decisions and we are remorseful over the ways that have hurt others, especially those that we love the most. And so we just won't let go of it. The enemy will continues to accuse us and reminds us of our past sins, reminds us of the things that we used to do, and he will not let us let go of it. Or maybe people around you will constantly be reminding you how you have hurt them, and so you can't let go of it. And you also could feel as if punishing yourself will atone for the sins, not understanding what true grace means. As Christians, we know all this is wrong thinking. We know God has forgiven and forgotten, but yet here we are dwelling on the past and refusing to accept God's forgiveness, the forgiveness that gives us the ability to take possession of the freedom which God's grace affords. We have to understand something. If guilt is left unchecked in your life, that guilt will morph into shame and self-loathing. It becomes like quicksand. 
And the more you struggle with it, the deeper you will sink into despair. So let me explain how guilt is supposed to work in your life, what it is supposed to do, and what shame actually does do. First of all, guilt will tell you, hey, I just did something bad. We know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We realize that we are all sinners. We realize we were all going to make mistakes. And God will use this mechanism called guilt to draw you into his mercy through repentance. Think about that. Guilt will say, hey, Wally, you just did something bad. I should stop. Think about what I just did humble myself before God, get on my knees, ask him to forgive me, and he draws us closer to him. That's good. That's what guilt is supposed to do. But if we do not deal with that guilt, if we push that guilt down, if we shove it far down because we don't want to look at it, we don't want to deal with it, then it turns into shame. Shame tells you, I am a bad person. And Satan will use that shame to drive you away from God. Guilt will tell you you did something bad, but if guilt is not dealt with, you start to believe that you are a bad person. And this all came to light to me about 20 years ago. God gave me the words to a song called My Secret Sin. My wife, Beth Ann, was working for the pregnancy center at the time. She was the development director. And part of her duties that she would go into churches and she would give her testimony of her past abortion and how that has affected her and how the pregnancy center came alongside her and helped her through the process. And she came to me one day and she said, Wally, I would really love to be able to have a song that explains how I, what I felt and what God has done for me. And then I could sing that after my testimony. And I told her, I said, oh, you know, I remember you telling me that when you were in school, in high school, that you used to write beautiful poetry. And so maybe God will give you the words that you will need that we can put to music and you could use. And so we talked about that. And then I went to work. Now, at the time, I was working at General Motors. I was on the assembly line, putting in rear seats for eight hours a day. And all of a sudden, as I was doing my job, words start coming into my head. Now, you got to understand, I have never written anything in my life nothing. I flunked 11th grade English. I had to take it over again in 12th grade or I wasn't going to graduate. I hated filling out birthday cards or anniversary cards because I never knew what to say. So I knew these words weren't from me. They were from God. And so I found a piece of paper and a pencil and I started scribbling down. And at the end of my eight-hour shift, I looked at this paper and I had a poem. I, wow, okay. And so I go home. And Beth Ann asked me, how was your day? And I said, well, I wrote a poem last night. And she looked at me and go, what? You don't write? I go, I know. I said, can I read this to you? And she goes, yeah. So I take out that crumpled piece of paper with all my chicken scratch on it. And I put my head down. And I am shaking. And I proceed to read what God has given me. And when I was done, I look up. And Beth Ann has tears just pouring out of her eyes. And she comes over and she hugs me and she goes, you really do listen when I talk, don't you? And I said, yes, I do. And so we gave those beautiful lyrics 
to Debbie Stauffer, who was our worship director here at Tabernacle all those years ago, and she put it to music. And then Beth Ann recorded the song, and then she was able to use that song in her ministry. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this is that when God gave me those words, I thought they were for her. And I thought that they were for her healing and for what she went through and what she was dealing with. And one day when I was listening to her sing the song, I realized they're for me. That everything that God gave me that night was also for me. This is what I was dealing with. And let me just read a part of the song. It says this. My secret sin I hide within, thinking his blood could never cleanse. The shame I feel as cold as steel prevents me from looking in. But I want to forget to go on with my life, but its roots have grown deep with time. I know what to do, but I find myself wanting to be punished for my crime. And when I read that, I thought, that is what I am doing. I am not letting go of the guilt. I'm pushing it down. It is taking root. It's now turned into shame, where now I want to be punished for the things that I have done. You have to remember, self-forgiveness is a deliberate decision that you have to make to allow the blood of Christ to wash away your sins and for God to rid you of your shame. So the question is, is how do we change our thought pattern, this false narrative, this false belief of, I can't forgive myself, I can't let this go. The very first thing you have to do is ask God to open your eyes, just like he did with me. A song that he gave me, words that he, he written, thinking they were for her, he finally opened my eyes to the fact that they were also for me. And when he does that, he will reveal to you that if you're holding on to things that you did in the past, that the first step of fixing any problem in your life is acknowledging that there is a problem. And so he will open your eyes to that. And then once he does that, the second step is that you ask God to forgive you because it is a sin. When you refuse to forgive yourself, you are saying your sins are too much for the creator of the world. If you are wallowing in the shame of the past, in reality, you're saying that Jesus Christ is not enough. You believe your sins are bigger than the grace and the salvation that God has provided, and you need to continue to punish yourself. And when you say that out loud, you realize just how ridiculous that really is. And so you have to ask God, to open your eyes. Then you ask God to forgive you for what you have been doing. And then the third step is that you ask God to help you. To help you to change the false belief of I can't forgive myself with the wisdom and the strength to allow the blood of Christ to cleanse you of your shame. If you change your belief system, then your thoughts and then your emotions and your actions will slowly change also. And you do this by filling your heart with God's truth. Then your incorrect beliefs about yourself start to fade. 
You no longer define yourself by the bad choices that you have made in the past, but by a loving Father that now calls you a new creation. So, let's look at some of those scriptures that will help us change our old corrupt beliefs with God's truth. And the first one, they should be up on the board. The first one is John 17, 17, and this is critical. It says in 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. There's two things that you need to understand here. Sanctify them means to purify us, free us from our sins, from our shame, from the past things that we have done. That is so important that we understand that. But the second part where it says your word is truth, the commentary says this about that word truth. It says that this implies that God's word does not simply conform to some other external standard of truth, but that it is truth itself. That is, it embodies truth and is therefore is the standard of truth which everything else must be tested and compared. What they're trying to say is that every thought that comes into your mind, you line it up with the, the truth of God's word. And if it doesn't line up, if it doesn't say the same thing, you discard it. It's false. It's from the enemy. Which leads us to the second scripture. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. And that says this. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. That is so important, and that goes with the very first scripture. God has given us divine power to demolish the strongholds, and the divine power is through prayer, through the word of God, through faith, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have to take every thought captive to line it up to God's truth, to test it and compare it. And as long as we do that, and we get in the habit of doing that, then God will change our old belief system into a new belief system that is based in his truth, not what the world has been telling us for all of our life. So those first two scriptures go hand in hand, understanding God's truth and what they can do for you. Now, the question is, what are the truths that God tells us that, about ourselves? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. This is how God sees us now. We are new creations, no longer defined by our bad choices of the past. 
The old life is dead and gone. And we are on the path that is filled with God's truth. A truth that tells us that we are now justified in his eyes. We are a new creation. You need to un- embrace that, understand what that really means for you. That God has cleansed us. God has justified us. Romans 3, 23, 24 says this about that. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is now Christ Jesus. That word justified means not guilty. If God tells us we are no longer guilty, then you are no longer guilty. Who are we to argue with God? You need to embrace that, believe in that, live in that truth. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So not only are, not, not, are we not only not guilty, but then he cleanses us. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. There's no reason to carry that shame with you any longer. God has erased it. It is gone. It is done. Isaiah 1.18, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. How beautiful is that? Let the old man stay where he deserves to be, dead and gone and in the past. Don't carry that shame with you. God has justified you. You are not guilty. He has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. See, God forgives and forgets, not because we deserve it, because we know better than that. We deserve his wrath. And not because we are good in any way, because we know we are not. And not because we promise never to do it again, because we know we will. But because he is a good good God, and he has a good plan for each and every one of us. So the question is, is what is that plan? Let me read Joshua. Okay, let me find it. Joshua 1, 1 through 9. And this is where it says, this is what it says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to uh, Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness 
in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. In the Old Testament with Joshua, God promised them that he was going to clear the land for them, that he would defeat the enemy as long as they stayed strong and courageous, as long as they kept his, their, God's word on their minds and on their lips and on their hearts, as long as they didn't veer to the right or to the left. He said, if you obey me, I will defeat the enemy. And there are times that he would just wipe out the enemy before them. They didn't have to do anything. But there were times where he told him to pick up your sword and you need to go in and do battle, but I will be with you and you will be victorious. God is telling us the same thing. God has defeated the enemy, but we will have to do battle. And he will tell us to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is his word. And that if we have it on our hearts and our minds and on our lips all the time, that we will, he will do away with the strongholds in our lives. He will defeat those areas where you feel guilt and shame or you feel pride and remorse. Whatever it is, he will defeat it if we pick up our sword and do battle. He wants us to live in the freedom of his grace, to prove faithful in taking possession of the life that he has faithfully given us. The rest of the song from My Secret Sin goes like this. Then God spoke to me in his gentle way as I knelt down one night to pray. My child, I know your heart and I feel your pain. Do you think my son's blood was shed in vain for you? Simple words so strong and true. Who am I to reject the forgiveness of the cross and all that it was meant to do? Forgive me, Father, for denying your son and living with such deep shame. What a blessing it is to say now that your son did not die in vain. For my secret sin, once held within is with me no more it was nailed to the cross forever to be lost in his blood that flows forevermore hallelujah i am free hallelujah i am free hallelujah i am free from my secret sin it is time to understand that god's forgiveness is enough that God's forgiveness is all we will ever 
need. We need to embrace that. We need to understand that. And then we can take possession of the life that he has given us, and it is a good, good life. And we will leave that dead body behind and never drag it with us any longer because it just slows us down. God has so much for us if we allow it to happen. Let me pray. Heavenly and precious Father, glorious King of kings and Lord of lords and holy of holies, how incredible you are, Lord God. You have done it all for us. You allowed this, your son to die on the cross for our sins. You allowed his blood to cleanse us. We are no longer who we used to be. We are new creations. Help us to leave our shame behind. Help us to acknowledge we have guilt over things of the past so that we can give them to you, that we can humble ourselves, that we can acknowledge we cannot do this anymore by ourselves, that we need your help through the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord God, to move forward, taking possession of the land and of the life that you have given us, Lord God. We need help with that. Lord, we have other Christian brothers and sisters around us to help us. We have your Holy Spirit. We have you. We have everything we need, Lord. We have your word that shows us what is true. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us. We are weak, but you can make us strong. We are scared, but you can make us brave. We are afraid to be defeated again, but you have given us victory. We are victorious in you. Oh, Lord God, I thank you for all that you have done. I thank you for all that you will continue to do, not only in my life, but the life of everyone in here. And we just pray all these things in your son's glorious name. Amen. The altar will be open for anyone who needs prayer, and the elders will be here with you to pray with you if you want to. Thank you, Lord.